Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Welcome back to another episode of the Addy Hour. As always, it's my pleasure to be able to host these conversations. And I know I share this often, but it's always so encouraging to hear how you all as listeners are really engaging with the conversations that we have on the podcast, the feedback that I'm hearing from you all in person, um, and just be able to share, to be honest, to be able to share clips from different podcasts and different venues and avenues and places where I travel as well. Um, so I guess this is a way to say thank you for your engagement. I hope these conversations continue to inspire you and continue to challenge you. And within that framework, today we have a great conversation on belonging with none other than Kim Samuel. So I'm going to go ahead and give Kim just a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Kim is an activist, an educator, and a leading voice in the global movement for belonging. She founded the Samuel Center for Social Connectedness, which works with advocates and researchers to fight social isolation and build belonging around the world. She's a visiting research fellow at Green Templeton College, a visiting scholar at the Oxford Poverty and Human Development Initiative, and the Fulbright Canada Ambassador for Diversity and Social Connectedness. Kim is also the author of On Belonging, Finding Connection in an Age of Isolation, and this is an exploration of the crisis of social isolation and our birthright of belonging. So things that are very important and timely, I'm sure that you all are already very eager to hear this conversation. So with that, I'll say thank you to Kim for being here. It's wonderful to host you on the Addy Hour podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And thank you also to whoever is listening. Appreciate that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, as my listeners know, and as I mentioned to you, we always just like to start with a check-in question just to see how people are doing. I know you are a world traveler in some senses, as I mentioned in your bio. So just want to check in and see how you're doing at this point in time. I am doing well. I'm uh, feeling very blessed. Mm. I, uh, I just got back from uh, a trip to Canada, where I'm from, for my granddaughter's second birthday oh wow which which puts uh everything in perspective mm -hmm. every day there were also uh a lot of fires uh mm -hmm. burning across my country and a lot of smoke in yours mm -hmm. and that made me really aware of how precarious uh our life on this planet is all life on this planet is and uh and I was reading uh, this morning, actually, I read Richard, Father Richard Rohr's 
uh, daily uh, mess messages. Mm -hmm. So far as you would know, a Franciscan monk and, and has a center on, on contemplation in the US. And uh, today's uh, kind of get, get one set for the day. It was about the, the, first, uh, the first Bible is nature. Mm. And, uh, and it made me think about this. Uh, and I'm in uh, London, England right now and feel like I'm sitting with you in, uh, in Connecticut somewhere and it feels good to be connected. Mm. Well, thank you so much for that. I mean, so many pieces that you have shared so honestly, and as my listeners often know, it's just, it's very encouraging to hear the ways that people are able to hold all those pieces together, the joys, and the challenges. And I think for a lot of us, it's really important to be able to voice those things and not feel like we have to pretend that things are going well or better than they are or worse than they are, but really have that, that whole perspective. So I definitely appreciate that as well. And as we jump in, I mean, this whole topic of belonging, something that we've heard a lot about recently, but something that you've been thinking about for quite a while. Um, but before we get there, I was actually going to have you share with our listeners just how you came into your vocation and maybe to talk a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. People may have heard your bio and say, okay, what does that actually involve? Well, frankly, <laughs> frankly, when I was raising my daughter, who's mm -hmm. the mother of Charlotte, I, uh, I would always be stumped when she asked me, mom, <laughs> what, what's your work? What do you do? And I was thinking, I still do. Well, I fill up every day. I consider myself a hard worker with a strong work ethic. But when she was growing up, especially in the teenage years, I wish I could say, honey, mom sells shoes. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that would be a job that would be very specific. Mm -hmm. uh, but my, uh, and I see it as a mission. Mm -hmm. I almost was going to correct myself and not say mission, but it really is my miss mission, mm -hmm. is that is that no one should ever have to feel as though they are sitting alone at the bottom of a well. And for, uh, for the first part of my, how do I explain what I do career, mm -hmm. I was uh, focused on trade negotiations. And then the question arose in me is why are the most important things often left out? Mm -hmm. Why is labor left out? Why is environment left out and given side agreements? Why? Why do we talk about economic growth so much good thing, but what about people who are experiencing poverty in many different dimensions? That lead me, led me, pardon me, to the next part of my career, which was, uh, was working uh, with a number of environmental organizations. Uh, it wasn't called climate change at mm -hmm. the beginning or global warming. It may have been called acid rain at one point and moved on, but we're talking about our our relationship and our obligations to Mother Earth. And, uh, and then from there uh, into uh, why is it that people who are uh, experiencing poverty told, this is what you have to do, and this is the, the rules and so on. And someone will say, well, yeah, I'm just trying to put food on the table. Mm. And, and how is it that these two things can't be looked at together? Well, of course they can. And that comes to what you, what you talk about, about how important it is to have a view around wholeness. Mm -hmm. I feel the same. And, and, uh, and I'm giving you about a decade at a time here. That's good. It works. <laughs> maybe, maybe two decades at a time, but we'll leave that alone. Yeah. Um, and then, and then we're kind of bringing, bringing things forward to 1997. And in 1997, my late uh, father, Ernie Samuel had um, a brain injury mm. out of the blue. 
And, and perhaps today, uh, science would no doubt say it was this and this and this and this. We don't, we don't know what happened. Uh, but what, what the result was, was that my dad was in a coma for three months. Oh, my goodness. And that was, I, I hope everyone or most people anyway say about their dad, best dad in the world. And I mm. really mean it. Mm-hmm. I really mean it. And uh, this was, this was uh, devastating. We didn't know if he was going to wake up. Wow. And some, some days I pray that if he wasn't going to wake up, could the angels come and take him home? Mm. But he did wake up very slowly. He had um, a lot of different uh, disabilities, physical disabilities, cognitive disabilities, and so on, which he hadn't had before. And I'll leave that for a moment and come back to why that's so significant in terms of social isolation. Because I also want to point out that he he had just turned 65 years old a couple of months before. So when it was time for him Uh, we would think logically to go to a rehabilitation hospital, the insurance company said, no, not one dollar. And the reason was, and I'll I'll answer it, but I bet if I, I bet all of your listeners would answer it for me at the same time, because he was 65 years old and therefore deemed to be in his sundown years and therefore not worthy Mm. of the cost of rehabilitation. And in that moment, that struck me as an injustice for anybody in this Mm -hmm. situation. Now, our family, we were very fortunate. And I want to to be clear about this, that my mission is that everyone, no one should have to be fortunate enough to have enough money to pay for their family member to get standard of care. Everyone should have that. And that's that's an obligation that Mm -hmm. I feel to try to do something Mm -hmm. about. So we were, dad came home to Canada. He was actually in uh, a rehabilitation hospital in Chicago at the time and came home. And it seemed that the better that he got in, in terms of learning new, new, what he could do, what, as he said, what doesn't work anymore. Um, None of us who loved him or knew him ever saw him as diminished in any way. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that he didn't suffer a lot and that this was really hard. But this is what I want to say. I realized it wasn't the disabilities. There was lots to learn. He was not diminished. He was whole as ever. In mm. fact, mighty, mighty, mm. and just kept, you know, that mm. resolve of it sounds corny, but as you get older, one foot in front of the other, actually, mm. one step in front of the other isn't corny anymore to me. It's like just yeah. one step in front of the other. But what he what he had was um a real strong constitution, if you will. Mm-hmm. He, and he wanted to be here. And he was, we had, he had grandchildren then too. That might've been a big motivation. He said, I'm going to mm-hmm. fight my way back. It was the way that he was treated because of the disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I kept seeing in my mind's eye, and frankly, I do every day when I wake up, because this is present, is a figure a human being, it never looked like male or female or my dad, but sitting all alone at the bottom of a well. Mm. And I saw that as a very uh, clear image. And and I thought to myself that this isn't, I go went back to things I'd done. You know, this isn't about the poverty. It's the way people treat people because they're poor. Mm. It's not about someone who's experiencing homelessness or incarcerated. It's the way they're treated because of mm. that. And I thought, uh, 
a lot at that time about uh, what is othering. And mm -hmm. I was um, a big, I am, sorry. Uh, I have a great appreciation for Toni Morrison mm -hmm. and her writing. And as, mm -hmm. it, as it happens, she gave a, an amazing series of lectures many years ago. Uh, I think it was at another university at Harvard <laughs> about, about othering and, mm -hmm. and this tendency. And, and I guess another way to put it is to dehumanize mm -hmm. one another. And it wasn't that I wasn't aware it's that it's just somehow how it is, you know, when something happens in your family or close to home, it, it just hits you on such a strong visceral level that it kind of opens up your eyes, which is yeah. not to say, oh, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be doing this. It's terrible that happened. But mm -hmm. when it did, I thought, well, what can I do? So that was the first part of it. And then, um, and then uh, the second part of it, of the, I mean, my kind of awakening story, mm -hmm. I got to meet Nelson Mandela, which mm. in itself would be oh, just, I could tell you, I got to meet Nelson Mandela, but there was a conversation too. So my dad passed in 2000 and, uh, and in 2002, I was in New York city. I'd been invited to a dinner in honor of Nelson Mandela and Gracia Michelle, mm. um, her, who her, both of them are to me amazing, uh, amazing beacons of light and I'd met her uh, a couple of times previously so she she uh, was introducing me to her husband <laughs> and uh, she said how have I been doing since my daddy died mm. as she put it and I said what you would imagine I, would, I really miss him you yep. know, so I uh, feel him I do feel him with me all the time right now for sure mm. and uh, and she introduced me to her husband and um, and she said, "What? How would this change? You know, what did this? What had happened? This experience changed me." I said, "Well, it's that the work that I've been doing before, um, when I was not selling shoes, <laughs> is, um, is is that I I was I looked back at the I, there's there's social isolation everywhere, mm -hmm. and I see that bound up in loneliness, and I see that then in what keeps us from our belonging. But that conversation was on on isolation, so I looked." to Nelson Mandela, and I was pretty quite in awe, nervous, sure. all, those, all those things, <laughs> yeah. like, whoa. And, and I said, of course, you would know all about isolation. To which he said, no, I've never wow. been isolated. And at that point, I thought, oh, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> you I probably didn't want to hear no as your first five reaction. Five seconds or less. <laughs> How? What's the expression? Things were going so well. <laughs> And I, but I did, I, I, I had the courage to try again. Mm -hmm. And I said, not even in Robben Island, where, as you know, he was incarcerated for 19 out of 27 years of being incarcerated and, and really isolated from, mm -hmm. from everything, even, uh, I should say, even especially seeing children. And there was at one point a way that they got the guards to walk and hold, you know, by with a child, children on mm -hmm. a Sunday, but really uh, devoid of everything except connection mm. and he said when I said not even in Robin Island and he said no because in Robin Island we were all brothers working mm. together with a common purpose I was wow. never alone we were all brothers working together with a common purpose I was never alone I just want to repeat that because so mm -hmm. powerful he then went on to say that he had seen isolation he'd seen it in the uh in a child in a village and who has uh, AIDS 
who no one will love or care for or feed mm. and so on. And I have seen isolation, he mm. said, and it is very bad. Mm. And and that was, um, and thank you, what an honor to meet you and all of this. That was the conversation. But wow. for me, it was, you know, you celebrate the 4th of July, right? There were no fireworks. There was none of that. There was, for me, this this sense of peace washed over mm. me. Mm. And this quiet affirmation came came up for me. Oh, okay. This is what I'm going to be working on for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. And that's that's so powerful. And, and it's turning out to be true. Yeah. It definitely yeah. seems to be the case. Well, I mean, such a rich history and also just appreciate your level of vulnerability and talking about the events that happened along the way. But it seems like all along the way, you were really watching and observing even as you start to notice it wasn't necessarily the specifics of what people were going through, but what they were, how they were being yeah. treated. And then just being open to that and even being open to some correctness in that brave moment when you had the introduction of Nelson Mandela and <laughs> were able to take that and still engage. I mean, that I think that's very instructive for all of us. I, I, yeah. Especially, you know, I just wanted to pick on something, uh, pick up on something that you just said about mm -hmm. how that's kind of in, we're talking about my, journey but it's in all of our journeys mm. i think it's already i feel that the path is already there mm. um we we will we'll meet the path when when it's time mm -hmm. uh, i feel like that but it really wasn't until some years after that when i first got to to teach and i got to create a course at a, a university in canada called mcgill university mm -hmm. all about this uh, social isolation and connectedness and belonging. What's the relationship to mm -hmm. virtually all aspects of international development? I just wanted to share with you that mm -hmm. that may have been my epiphany, what mm -hmm. I just told you. My dad was the inspiration. But when I went to teach, um, which that when you vocation, mm -hmm. te te I really feel myself as a, when I found that, that, oh, this is my vocation. Um, but I, I was walking around the campus one day three weeks into teaching, hadn't done it before. So again, mm. kind of getting my bearings. And I was so happy, like so happy. And then I just was overcome with sadness. Mm. And so much so that I had to sit down on the nearest bench and just well, what's going on. Mm. And I just sat with it for a while, which I think is always the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had just uh, in some way encountered uh, going back many decades, my 21-year-old self, wow. and she was, we say university to we say college, but mm -hmm. um, so, so feeling so like she didn't belong mm. and so isolated, but always she being me, I'd put on this happy face because no one wants to see anyone sad, mm. not going to make friends that way and all of it. Mm. And I just, I felt like, oh, I'm not just here to teach, you know, I'm here to heal. Wow. And, and that when you mentioned about vulnerability, it kind of made me think about with students that in, in the nature of my topic, and mm -hmm. um, as you might not be surprised to hear, I had office hours every day, mm -hmm. whoever wants to come in. So students were sharing a lot that wasn't just about what was going on in the right. class. And I thought, you know, I, I need to meet them where they are. So there's a bit of, there's a, a way, you know, slowly, but slowly, um, at least I find that, I don't know if it's that your life unravel, I don't mean unravel, but it reveals mm -hmm. itself to you. Mm -hmm. And you see that all along, 
there's there's a tapestry that's being knit together mm. and then every so often you get a glimpse of it yeah. so for me it, i don't think it was only what happened to my dad and mm -hmm. and also what nelson mandela said i think maybe i was heading that way all along yeah i like to think that yeah well that's, that's outstanding even as you're talking because i'm thinking about the book that you've written on belonging your role yeah. in the classroom and not just in the classroom as you mentioned but also outside of the classroom yeah. um the center that you started the fellowship programs and things that you have i wonder if you have a perspective because you talked about the journey unraveling do you see any role in terms of guiding shepherding or helping people to notice that journey along the way or anything that you'd like to share because yeah. that, that's just something that came to mind as you were talking because wow. it seems like there's a lot of that that you're doing to help people see that as well i see myself as a um, passionate messenger of a powerful message mm. and uh and and that really, um, I'll give you a bit more. May not really answer your question, but that's what came up in in me. Mm -hmm. Is that I'm uh, I'm not here to. There's no. This isn't self help. I'm not here mm -hmm. to tell anyone what to do or how to fix things. Or I think that I think faith play. If you are a person of faith, which you and I talked about, we both are. Mm -hmm. um, that that gives us a, a pretty good center. Mm -hmm. But that isn't really whether you are or you're not. I, I think that we really have to be there for one another to to find our own ways forward. And so what is that? What does that mean in terms of helping? Well, I think it it means uh, reciprocity. Mm. You know, it means it means uh, there's a, a wonderful book, uh, I think, uh, called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. Mm. And uh, if I. I should tell you in my book, the no publisher would let me write about faith or mm. religion, but I was able, that's a other thing, yeah. wow. but, but I, I did get in some mythology, <laughs> had to work at it <laughs> really hard, oh uh, but I talked about Lewis Hyde and he wrote mm. about the gift and the gift, whatever the gift is, a gift always has to keep moving. Mm. And I take, I took that in my book and now take that as my inspiration that whatever our we all have gifts so whatever our gifts are they're there and we want to nurture our own gifts but in order to do that we have to be giving and receiving all the time and and that the solutions to to problems most anyone i can any problem i can think of it's the people that are experiencing that that mostly will have the solution and if you commit to that belief as i do then then it puts you in a very humble and correct place, which is I am here to hold a space, but to hold it intentionally and every day and, and feel joy that I no longer have to think about what I do because mm. it's, 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 it's what I feel I'm being called to do, mm -hmm. which is different. And, and to be able to make that space as safe and as deep or as wide, mm. how a circle keeps expanding so that, people can come in and sometimes hold the space for someone else. So we talk about, you know, resilience and I get, I bet you've talked about resilience in Definitely. your program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to listen to all of the other ones now, but, but I believe that in, in life, even the most resilient person is going to have a time where they don't feel so resilient. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe it's my dad, you know, I go, he, he sure didn't feel very resilient after everything he went through. And I think that was a hard thing to learn how to, he really needed to rely on us. But you see, 
we all relied on him. Mm. And, uh, and I, I think that's quite important that we're not all having the same amount of resilience at a different time. And that if you get, you know, that expression, getting the wind knocked out of you, it's going to take a while to catch your breath. So what do we do when that happens? What does that mean? Well, it means that if somebody's family member is in the hospital and they're not getting the care that they need, then let us who are their friends or care or may not even know them go in and advocate because they need to be with their family member right now. That, that would be um, a specific example. Or if there is uh, someone at work and even though their uh, workplace has the best DEI rules or they've even adding belonging, the thing is I go back to the rules are good be careful about the measurement because you may set up to measure exactly what you want to measure. Right. And if someone comes into work and feels marginalized and for, for any number of reasons, if that's how they're feeling, then they are. And mm -hmm. so it may matter most who's, who's the, who's the hand on their shoulder figuratively or literally that's, it doesn't say, Hey, I'm with you today, but get your act together by tomorrow. It's about, I, I'm with you and I'll keep staying with you. Or it's the, I write about a fictional couple. Um, I'll give you a spoiler alert. Yep, yep. <laughs> They're based on my mom and dad. Um, I do a whole, a whole chapter about reciprocal caregiving. And my, my mom's name was Elizabeth June and my dad's name was Ernest Lionel. He wouldn't want me to be telling you that, but that was his middle name. Mm. And so I wrote about Lionel and June. Mm. <laughs> um, and they were, they weren't, they weren't my parents, but there was a lot of what happened in there. And that in Lionel's case, he, uh, he may, uh, my line, the, the character that I was writing about, he had dementia, which could be a lot of things. Mm. And, uh, and he and, uh, June were, uh, were, uh, older people. They were not getting the care. Uh, they didn't, they, they were living on their own. Um, uh, but there was no money for respite. And sometimes Lionel didn't know who, where he was. And people said to June this, June, you're a brick. You, you're the strongest lady I know. Lionel is so blessed to have you. And let us know if you need anything. You see, that isn't what you say to someone, just do. Now, mm -hmm. lots of people in my case, that wasn't my parents' situation, but it was inspired by what my mom was feeling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, yeah, mom got way too many baked goods. We had to give a lot of them away. Wow. But the thing is, it's that people showing that they care and just show up for that person and or say, do you want to go to the movies? And I'll take the, whatever it is. Because when you say to someone, if you need help, let me know what you're saying. What they sometimes hear is, oh, I can't cut it. I can't mm. cut it. I guess they know that. And I believe that that is the path to victimhood and mm. uh, on any, in any way. And if you leave someone a victim, doesn't mean that people aren't victimized, mm. but if it's this, uh, a certain model of charity where, you know, back uh, the little, remember the, well, I don't know if you read Little Women, favorite of mm, mine yep, when I was yep, a child. I did. <laughs> and, okay, good. And one of the sisters, and I, it may have been Beth, but I'm not sure, said, we, you know, we must always remember the poor. Well, Actually, what we should really do is is uh, come up, get out of the way, <laughs> give people the resources that mm. they need mm. and support when they tell you what they need. Mm. And and I don't know what the I don't I'm not going to say it's a human tendency because it probably isn't because to want to help is really good and to mm -hmm. care and, and to be there for people in a crisis and they don't have to be 
your family, right? Like we just, wouldn't you want someone to take care of your child if they were mm -hmm. the other side of the world? And we just, that's what we do. And that's what our responsibility is. But I do, you know, I, I did make a point in the book from the beginning, no victimhood. I'm mm -hmm. not going to write about people's so interviewed over 150 people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people in there had had you know, gone through incredible trials and, mm. and, and it's, you know, how did they get through and, and how do they, how do they change other lives simply by the example of their own? But it's not about, it's not about saying, um, I feel, I feel really, really good today because I went out and helped some needy people. It should be, I feel really good today because I was useful in my life. Mm. And, uh, and I hope that, that tomorrow I can do that too, but it's about, empowering or giving people tools for their own empowerment which i really um uh is, is probably the most long-winded answer you've ever had i'm so sorry but but that's that's, that's how the circle <laughs> comes around for me yeah, yeah i mean it's such a helpful perspective in so many ways too i mean even as you're sharing those anecdotes i think so often and this is a little bit of a tangent but it's so hard for people to actually put themselves in someone else's circumstance or to really have empathy and so that yeah. natural reaction, let me know if there's anything I can do without actually realizing how that's impacting the person. So again, I mean, just in your work and in, in your book, yeah. it's so encouraging to hear how informed this has been from what you've seen in other people, but then conversation interviews and all those things, even as you've talked with people who've gone through trauma and just been able to see that shift between not continuing to put them in the victim box, because even in talking with a lot of those individuals, even as people talk about being able to survive and even move through those challenges without having people always remind, oh, you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. So to hear how you've incorporated that and how you're really elevating voices and teaching, I think it's part, it all comes back to teaching as well, because teaching all of us how to be able to engage with different individuals and in different walks of life in a way that supports them and helps all of us thrive without just, again, because we naturally kind of put people in boxes so we can try and understand without really taking yeah. time to listen. And with all the topics that you touch on, I mean, I'm just even thinking about the work of your center and how, I mean, you're touching on so many different mm -hmm. aspects. You talked about poverty, you've talked about, you know, aspects of the environment and climate change mm -hmm. and belonging, academic science, like it still feels like it's a wide range of things, but there are a lot of themes that yeah. tie it all together as well. And, and forced migration, refugees, mm -hmm. and we're doing a uh, although I won't be there, I should say most of my colleagues to start the center, they were all my students oh, wow. at the time or, or graduating and what do they do for the summer. And I thought, mm. I got to start something. Yeah. That's how it happened. Wow. I got to start something. This is how to build a global movement on belonging. So this mm, week that's great. Um, in Montreal, um, Canada, they're doing a uh, uh, something that um, helps homes and havens and it's bringing together a lot of groups everything mm. we do is in collaboration and partnership working on uh on a better welcome mm. a real welcome and this, this is for asylum seekers mm -hmm. coming uh across the uh, u.s border into canada mm. and and i was reading uh an article uh sunday yeah the sunday new york times one of mm. my regular weekly reads and it was it was about um, someone writing from the perspective of being an immigrant to Canada mm. and and feeling that once you're and I love my country and I know we you know we, but everyone can do better mm -hmm. yeah and so it's not just hap what happens when you first arrive um, it's it's about what happens ongoing and when you're trying to find a school you're trying to find a job you're trying to find your way around the subway s station but also it's 
It's really about uh, people that have been through that experience mentoring one another. That's what I mean. Mm. To me, it's more than enough for a life to be constantly working at how to hold this, this space um, for, uh, for people. And I also think, uh, I think about uh, design and belonging mm. and you, you know, I don't know if you've talked about the way we can design our spaces uh, for belonging and someone in my book who's a noted placemaking architect, Dominic mm -hmm. Richards from the UK said uh, something, you know, when someone says something, you say, oh, I wish I said that, mm. but he said that. <laughs> and he said, either you design for belonging or you will end up with isolation. Mm. And, and then I've been thinking about, it's the way we design communities. It's when we look at isolation, which for me inherently has an absence of choice and an absence of agency and voice. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, you and I could be sitting, well, I'm at my kitchen table, but let's say we're sitting in a boardroom mm -hmm. and, and a, people, some people that had never been in that room or in that dialogue, oh, they're being included that day. Well, we can get you a seat at the table. Doesn't mean you're included that day mm -hmm. unless you're really part of the conversation and you are being heard and you're not just being asked to contribute for another tick box, but actually ask to meaningfully contribute. And the next time you shouldn't be at the boardroom, you need to be out in the community. So I really, I, I envision belonging as, as that way of wholeness. And maybe I could just take a slight detour yeah. if I may. Okay, I want to, uh, it's a faith, a faith detour, mm -hmm. but I, I want to share an idea. Um, a few, well, March, yeah, uh, a few months ago um, in the UK um, at, um, at Oxford University, it was something that I'd wanted to do. And I knew that I had a platform on an mm -hmm. afternoon and how mm -hmm. would I use it? And my, my mentor there actually is a world-class economist, Sabina Alkire. She's also an Episcopal, uh, Episcopal priest. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be Ang Anglican, which is the same in the, so it's pretty great. And I said to her, you know, Sabina, what I want to do with, uh, with that afternoon is I want to talk about faith. Mm. And I, I said, you know, when I interviewed uh, oh, 157 people and I asked people about their belonging and, the, and I knew that some of the people of different, many different faiths were people mm. of faith. I, I, I only two people ever answered about that. One, wow. of course, was the Franciscan monk. And uh, I, and I, it's why, you know, what are we, what, what are we stigmatizing that? Because mm. when we put things kind of down, yeah. down at the bottom of a well, we don't mean to, but if that's where they are, mm. then that affects our gaze on everything. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about faith. And so uh, thanks to my mentor, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, a Catholic bishop, who's also a, um, he's also a Trappist monk mm. uh, named Father Eric Varden, who's the uh, Bishop of Norway. And he, uh, he came and he'd written a, a, a couple of books about loneliness. Anyway, mm. I was almost not quite as nervous as when I met Nelson Mandela, because <laughs> here we are. I don't yeah. know if you've ever been there, but it's the Sheldonian Theater and it's medieval and designed mm. by Christopher Wren and talk about imposter syndrome mm. <laughs> what was i thinking and why, i get up there I here? <laughs> yeah yeah five minutes later why am i still here but anyway <laughs> because of father eric there were a lot of uh, a lot of callers in the room mm -hmm. and priests and so on this just could go horribly wrong but anyway that wasn't what i wanted to tell you that just came out so 
I spoke and then Father Eric spoke and then there was a, a moderated conversation and it, I think it went quite well. But one of the things that he talked about was hospitality mm. and hospitality. I hadn't really thought of it in, in terms of faith. And he mm. talked about it. He, he'd lived, um, gosh, uh, well over a decade in a monastery. Oh, wow. And, uh, he, uh, he talked about in the tradition, in the monastic tradition, that when somebody comes to the monastery, they're lost, they're not lost. He said they may, you know, they may have uh, the most muddy boots. Mm. <laughs> they're welcome right on in as you are. Mm. And that it's, it's not just considered, I, I'm sorry to paraphrase, Father Richard, because it would have been better coming from him, but I just mm. want to give you the idea that it was, uh, it was, this was part of their faith to welcome the stranger in. Mm. And then of course the stranger is no longer a stranger. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when I think about this, uh, when you just now were speaking about empathy mm. uh, and I've been thinking about how uh, empathy uh it's like resilience. Some of us, I think some of us are born with more than others, but we can learn. But that empathy doesn't mean uh, I have to, I have to have the experience that you have in order mm. to appreciate what you have. Yeah. I think it, I think it's about hospitality, which I'm giving you the Christian tradition. It, this could, I think this would be in so all oh, so many other great mm -hmm. traditions, of course. Uh, but it's about it's a little bit like I welcome you in because mm. I don't welcome you in because I'm going to learn this or you're this or I I uh, I may even dislike you. I am welcoming you in. Oh, that, that's my that's faith. So powerful, especially that. I, last I piece. don't <laughs> I don't dislike you. <laughs> I yeah, just I know. Mean, <laughs> <I'm> the... <laughs> okay, but it's that it's that feeling, and yeah. I'm not saying that I'm there where mm. father eric is but it's all a journey mm. and so i'm much more uh i i have a different view about what hospitality means mm. there's no that's not selective that's yeah that's that's our mission yeah i'm just i'm even just sitting with that too so i'm thinking you know that approach and how powerful and world-changing that would be if we all incorporate that and how it would just open up so many other doors for having space to listen and to try and understand. I mean, especially still sitting with the dislike part in the midst of disliking. Yeah. And not be afraid, I still welcome you. not be afraid to get it wrong mm. because we can get it wrong. We can use the wrong with words, you know, words are powerful. And sometimes mm. that's, that's great for communicating. And sometimes if you get one word that you did that wasn't your intention but someone takes it that way and then mm. you're kind of like oh no you know I can't I can't be here mm. uh let's not be afraid to get it wrong because if mm. you care you will get it right mm. the, those other things slip away you'll get mm. it right and the stranger should never ever be received as a uh as less than or mm. doing you a favor it's like some you know that that's what, fables and myth are full of that who mm. comes is supposed to come and mm -hmm. and i think that that doesn't make empathy any less important mm -hmm. it just means that uh 
there's other ways to get to this place, not mm-hmm. only one way. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I mean, so much, so much um, rich context and things that we can just even try and apply as well. A slight pivot, because as you've been talking, okay. I've been thinking just about all the work that you're doing. I mean, you've been focusing on othering for quite a while, focusing on belonging, mm-hmm. even before this was talked about more generally. I guess from a perspective question, where do you see things going? Because, you know, in so many ways in our society, it seems that there are certain topics that have their moment, even though many like you continue to work on that. And so do you feel, not to put you in the box, as we're talking about not putting people in boxes, but I'm wondering if you feel optimistic or pessimistic about these important practices that you're applying and studying, continuing to be focused on, or whether you have concerns that things will kind of shift back as they do often to where they were pre-pandemic or anything. Yeah. So that's, I know that's a very, yeah. that's a wide open question. No, but. it's, it's a, it's a good wide open question. Uh, when I um, just kind of by way of background and mm-hmm. then, and then coming into your question. So when I look at, at belonging and, uh, and what the inherent right is, mm. I call it an inherent right or a birthright is that every one of us, by simple virtue of the fact that we are born, mm. have a right to belong. Mm. And, uh, and that really came up in a, through a process of contemplation. I didn't sit down to figure out to write that, that came up. And, and it, it really, uh, it really guides me. So we know from the member Maslow's hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know, belongingness is in there. It's not number one, but it's in there as a need. We know to belong is a human need, but I envision it as, as a right and not exactly as a let's make a new, let's, let's add a new right to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Gosh, humanity's having enough trouble living up to the ones that are there. Mm-hmm. So a, a friend of mine uh, called Ken Roth, who you, until quite recently was the head of Human Rights Watch. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he gave me this idea, Kim, don't think of the right to belong as a new human right. Think of this as a way to lift up Mm -hmm. a constellation of human rights. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, Ken, like which ones? He said, well, Kim, pick any of them. And so I, uh, I want to be, and and, and clear about this, that it's this, when we talk about whether it's empathy or whether it's hospitality or whatever it is, belonging for me encompasses people, our connection to one another, Mm. to place the lands we live on, the spaces that we inhabit, and also power, which I, I imagination is important in all this too. Mm. Can't imagine it. You can't create it. This power, connection, and influence over the systems that govern us and and purpose, a sense of purpose, mm. which I think we've been talking around today anyway, yeah. this connection to our personal sense of why. Okay, I just gave you, I just gave you four Ps, and I gave you four words, people, place, power, purpose. You could give me four more, you could give me one, anyone listening could say, not those ones, this one, because my belonging is going to differ from your belonging. Mm. That's okay, as long as we honor one another's. But there's nothing in there that I said that sounds like an ad slogan or whoa, you know, this is, that's what we know this. I believe that we know this. I believe that what's in here is perennial. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the, the, the tendency we get to choose to other, to make someone less than, well, 
that's perennial too. Mm. Whereas loneliness as a concept has only been around for 400 and something years, less than 500 years. I maintain that isolation along with the, the absence of agency and choice well, I think that's been around for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go back to the Cyrus c- Cylinder, the si- King Cyrus and uh, in the, the ancient world who uh, abolished slavery. Now, why would that be required unless there already was slavery? Mm-hmm. We, we are in human form right now. We're all doing our best and we're all learning every day. I think what happened is is that we just somewhere along the line, and I'm not pointing to one one place, I don't think there is, it's kind of like like exercising. So you pick your arms, I'm looking at my arms, wondering when's the last time I worked out with them, but not the point. Thing is, if you don't move your arms, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to, the muscle won't be there. And if you don't move them at all, they're going to atrophy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like compassion is a muscle too. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, if we don't work out with that, it's going to go. And I believe that a lot of this is, uh, I don't like to say ancient wisdom, because that sounds forgotten too. It's perennial wisdom. Yeah. And, and it's based on the imagination. And it's, it's not for me to say, or you or any of us to say, well, if you had faith in a higher power, that's, that's not, you know, I don't think God tells us what to do. Mm. Some people say who are representing God think they can tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. It's about holding the space for our journey. And at the same time, um, this moment that we're having, well, a few years before COVID, there was, um, I think it was CNN. I'm not trying to before get CNN, but I happen mm-hmm. to think that they, Anderson Cooper, who's on CNN, and mm-hmm. that he introduced, and I think he's really good about bringing awareness to things. Yeah. And I remember watching, he was doing a series of lo- on loneliness. And I thought, that's good. It wasn't new, mm-hmm. but it was good. First of all, anything in a sphere that's considered mental health, which is health writ large, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, is bringing, you know, bringing things out of the shadows is really important. Mm-hmm. But I also was struck by how many people are like, whoa, loneliness, is that a thing? Oh my goodness. I'm thinking, huh. I mean, like, we know that. Okay, yeah. so we know that. And then coming forward to COVID, so many people have said to me, uh, I knew you wouldn't appreciate that. So is this because of COVID that, you know, this is having a moment? Mm. See, I, I, I think I was having a moment for when I was a little kid, even though I had a really good childhood, I never felt like I fit in. And then dad mandela work purpose all of it but covid yeah covid was a moment if if i couldn't call it a moment gosh thousands of that i mean so many people died and Mm. and again the most physically vulnerable are the ones who are going to die and Mm -hmm. and then i think it was was it the lieutenant governor of texas this is when i had covid and i had pneumonia Mm. for a long time and i'm i think it was the lieutenant governor i can't remember his name so i'm not going to get you in trouble Mm -hmm. basically said just like the great generation it's time for the older ones who get covid not to seek treatment and leave the space open for the younger ones and i thought whoa while you had covid you're hearing yeah well i was i had pneumonia (laughs) and i'm thinking i was thinking i'm really glad i'm really glad i'm not in texas today (laughs) but but the thing is i don't think many people agree with it but the fact is that that was a moment and it was a moment 
for nursing homes mm. where all of the atrocities mm. in a lot of them, and in, by the way, I'm, I'm for deinstitutionalization anyway, mm. because it's not human. And I don't, there's a lot of other ways to, to give people opportunities mm. to heal and help and so on. Mm -hmm. But I'm very much focused about the rights of older people mm. and, uh, and how a lot of times people don't even see that older people have rights, mm. decisions made for them and, and so forth. And we know that we all have a right to live in community. Mm -hmm. So there's your moment. Okay, so a lot of people gave me, and uh, it's, it's this, Kim, is, this is so hot, this thing. I'm like, that's, that's not even on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I'm just going on and doing the work that I've always been doing. However, I thought this is good that things are being called out or mm -hmm. like in a lot of places in, in the world where um, uh, it was Grasha Michelle, who I mentioned earlier, she, she uh, was in a conversation with her through this time when I was sick, but on my way to health again. And she, we're talking about water and we were mm -hmm. told we were all right. We were all supposed to wash our hands all mm -hmm. the time and wear a mask. And she was, uh, she's from Mozambique and, and mm. lives in Mozambique and South Africa. And she was talking about in the African continent, how ridiculous this thinking to say that if you, if you can't get a hold of a mask, you're not being a good human being. And there's so many thousands of people who don't have water to drink, mm. let alone go wash their hands. And so this whole, mm -hmm. you know, that made me think about if everyone, the moment wasn't hard to comprehend. People experience physical isolation mm -hmm. that can lead to social isolation. I am not minimizing it. I, mm -hmm. I had to be alone, alone for a long time. And I was, um, I struggled. It was mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. But once we come through this, what have we learned? What have we learned? What has yeah. changed? Yeah. And, and so I, uh, for my part, I also get a question that goes like this. Kim, don't you think that we kind of know all this stuff already? And I'm going to say, do you? Because <laughs> I response. don't. That's a good Do you? Response. I don't. Yeah. But here's the thing. Tell me what has changed. And so um, I'm really hoping that I get to, that God gives me a really long and healthy life because this is what I'll be working on till the day I die. And I know, mm. you know, that expression, never put myself out of a job, but I don't think it matters. I think each one of us from wherever we are, we just do our part. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point too, I mean, I really liked how you emphasized the learning too, because even in that question, don't we know all this already? It's very easy to, to say, well, can you show me how we've learned and how we are actually yeah. applying these principles? I mean, obviously yeah, there are those that are doing the work. And but even as you mentioned, as someone who is doing the work, you're still open to that learning. And so I think even oh. in painting that picture, you, you've shown where some of the unintentional or intentional short sidedness comes, assuming that the work is done. And not having to yeah. add to the learning. But that learning needs to continue. is, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to you're good. Interrupt you're good. You on your own show. <laughs> um, the learning is at the heart. The heart mm. of it for me mm. to be open to learning every day and to never, never give oneself the false impression that hey, I talk about it, so I got it. There's yeah. so many times I make mistakes, like oh no, <laughs> I know that when I said that, I just isolated that person or I did this or that, and you know. I think it's another thing when I said, like, we kind of have to give ourselves a break too and not be afraid to get it wrong. Yeah. It's not trying is way worse, but, but the learning, I mean, when I mentioned to you about teaching, see, that's a learning environment for me. Mm. Whenever I go somewhere, it's that I just want to get really to be the best, really be the best I can be 
about holding this space. Mm -hmm. Don't own it. I'm here mm -hmm. to learn too. The only thing that I've learned is unlike my childhood and now in my uh, age of wisdom, mm -hmm. older age <laughs> in front of me, what I want to do is, um, is to be in, in that be part of the team, be part of what's in that circle. Mm. When I was a kid and a young adult, I didn't, I never thought like that. I thought I'm always outside the circle, but I mm. really want to see what's going on over there. Example, this different example, but I could never make a sports team. Mm. And I really try. I just want to be part of the team. And so now I realize that I can, I can work at something and I could be part of it too. Mm. Wow. That's so good. And you've, you've, there's so many uh, pearls of wisdom that you've been sprinkling <laughs> throughout this conversation. That I think our listeners are definitely going to appreciate that and even go back and listen to. And just that perspective, I mean, to be honest, it's also, as a host, it's encouraging for me to be able to host someone like you who is, in a sense, at the forefront of a lot of this work, all the work, and still has that mindset of learning and helping us all move forward uh, together. So that's really refreshing. Um, just to close out, the time has gone so fast, but I'm wondering just what gives you hope and any last not last in terms of the finality, but at least for this conversation, thoughts you want to leave uh, our listeners with? Also not an easy question. <laughs> no, I've never not had hope. That's what I was mm. thinking. Um, when I was, I was a, as a kid, a very early, early reader mm. and, uh, and, and loved poetry and fell in love with the, uh, with William Blake and the songs mm. of innocent songs of experience. Cause it helped me. They still help me to explain that you can have, you know, there's not like good over here and bad over here, that we're all somewhere. It's a continuum all the time. And it kind of something came to me as a kid, which I didn't really understand as a kid, but it came to me um, of, uh, of you can, uh, you can be sad. You can be sad any day, but always hold the joy mm. and that it's not a contradiction. And so when I think about what gives me hope, you know, is it okay if it's a bit corny? Yeah. Just what, okay, what it is. Yeah. New life gives me hope. Mm. Um, I believe uh, new life, babies are being born and gardens grow mm. and I get to, could you imagine if I wasn't here tomorrow after what I'm about to say? <laughs> Whoa. I get to wake up tomorrow and have a new day mm. and, and, and people give me hope and mm. faith gives me hope and, and the, the sanctity of life gives me hope. Mm. And, and my sister, who I haven't mentioned yet, my sister, Tammy, who uh, died at age 47 and she oh, was, wow. um, uh, we were 11 months apart wow. and Tammy, Tammy didn't, and she was my, at, at her funeral, I, I, we always say to her, you're the best, maybe not as teenagers, but, but as then mothers and well into adulthood, mm -hmm. you're the best sister in the world. No, you're the best sister in the world. And when <laughs> at her funeral, I said, and you are the best sister in the world. And now you can't say anything back. <laughs> but I think about, you know, Tammy didn't get to see her kids, uh, Lisa and Michael graduate high school. Mm -hmm. She didn't get to see them, uh, go uh, go on from there and into adulthood. She won't see where their lives go. Um, she gets to become a grandma. Uh, she'll I know that she'll see it from somewhere, mm -hmm. but that was my same age sister and 
my angel. And so I think every day at you know the end of Tammy's life, we knew that uh, we were there was there were no more miracle. She had a, a cancer that had metastasized. There was no more miracle drug. We were there, but there was one more uh, pill, one more something that was going to have a lot of side effects. It was a trial that she could take, but the doctor said, you know, Tammy, this is going to be, I'll have a lot more side effects. And, and she said to the doctor, uh, was that Sloan? Mm. We'd gone to Sloan Kettering. And he, she said, doctor, I don't care about that. I just want to be here. And so there's my, my hope is for Tammy to Mm. keep on, on living and, and try to make things a little better for people and to uh to fulfill my potential um whatever that is Mm. there's my hope wow wow well thank you again for just that i mean that's that's such a poignant quote from your sister and just the importance i mean it really ties in as i'm thinking everything we've talked about in this conversation all of it together and again just appreciate just how honest and real you've been about those pieces and how you know your motivations and everything that's guided you along the path so far and that you're continuing to do and that that it really is going to stick with me i just want to be here and how yeah. powerful how powerful that is for all of us who are still here and can continue to do that mm-hmm. we're here yeah wow well this has been a fantastic conversation i feel like maybe just the beginning of things to come in the future as well as we've been able to hear about some of our common interests and things like that and just uh just have appreciated just your level of honesty and candor, your insights, all the pieces you've talked about in terms of mentorship. That's definitely a theme that's come through, even though we didn't highlight that as much as well. But I know that our listeners are really going to appreciate listening to this. I imagine they may have to go back and re-listen again because of all the wisdom and insight that you shared along the way. So Kim, again, thank you so much for being here on the Addy Hour podcast and for all that you're continuing to do. Well, thank you. It's It's been a blessing for me to be here. And you uh, you gave me so much empathy and warm and welcome that uh, you actually made this very pleasant. So oh, I thank you too. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs>